it's time to complete the Millergy. We watched Stephen Miller's Visions, which means it's time for another Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. I'm asking the questions around here. You know what a steer is? Yes. What is it? It's a cow. What kind of cow? A cow, you know. Hello and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. My name is Todd Workhoven and I am joined as always by Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm very well. Good. And of course, Brian, the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? Uh, doing A-OK. Good, good. So we are gathered together via Skype uh, once again to talk about the third in a row. I don't think we've ever done that with anyone else. A uh, movie from a director named Stephen Miller. Uh, and the movie is called Visions. Um, I'm holding the VHS copy right here in my hands. And I'm just noticing right now that the tagline to this movie is when reality and imagination become one which i thought was interesting i guess it sort of applies to the movie maybe so um so yeah we're gonna dig into that this is uh like i said the third stephen miller movie that we've that we uh have done and he has only done the the millergy i really like that the millergy yes so we did uh back time and love and dynamite uh and this 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 month we've got visions so and I guess appropriately enough, we watched them in reverse order, which is kind of uh, fitting for starting with the movie about time travel. Oh, yeah, there you go. Now, um, just kind of off the bat, now, we all really liked Back Time. Did you guys enjoy Love and Dynamite? I kind of forget. Just kind of so-so. I, it was, it was fun to watch Grizzly too. Adams blow things up. Uh, you know. <laughs> I... Other than that, it's entirely forgettable. Yeah, I remember that there was the one arm guy that I recognized from this movie. Yes, there's a there's a there's several of our actors that not only showed up in Stephen Miller's other movies, but a couple other, uh, or at least one other Portland at the movie movie. Well, no, David Walker also makes an appearance in that. Did you catch yes, him? Does. Oh yes. He was a strip club patron and got like 0.5 seconds of screen time. Uh, I I wasn't expecting him because I don't remember him bringing it up, but I was watching it today and I immediately uh, texted him with a picture. I was like, is this you? Uh, So it was indeed him. Oh, yep. There he is (laughs) looking up at that strip. He's got a pretty great facial expression. Um, He does. But who wants to kind of take us through what the movie Visions is about? You know, before we get into that, why don't we just talk about our favorite quotes from the movie since we already heard one. (laughs) Let's let's start the audience off with something that they might actually find entertaining. Well, why don't you start us off then, Brian? (laughs) Um, Well, so we we just heard from Mark. I I would say, Mark, that was a pretty good choice for uh, a quote. Um, That was one of the um, little kids in the movie, was it not? That was, yeah. And yeah. so there's there's two kids and they get questioned by the local uh, police lieutenant, uh, Bright, what, uh, what was his name? I think his name is Bright. And uh, and one of the questions that he asks, oh, no, no, uh, the, the lieutenant asks his officers, do you know what a steer is? And yeah, it's a, it's a castrated bull. And... Do you know what a gelding is? Uh, it's a castrated horse. Yes. <laughs> and then he walks away. And then he later asked, yeah, those children, the, the same question. <laughs> uh, the kids had some uh, pretty great wines. One of them being, um, look, what, what is it? Uh, look, Brad, a killer did that when he was referring <laughs> to the bruises on his arm, which is pretty great. I also liked, so you're a kink. Which one of the officers asked when they found pornography at someone's house. 
there was another great one uh, from one of the kids, and uh, it, it wasn't just their line, but it was the line uh, immediately following what they said that was like from a different scene, but together it sounded, it just, I wasn't even really paying attention to the movie, but then I heard it, and I was like, that was genius. So one of the kids are like hiding uh, and waiting for somebody to leave, and they're like crouched down, and the one kid says, my butt hurts. And then cut to the cops, and the cop says, the back door is wide open, sir. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's amazing. I did not catch that either. It was genius. <laughs> so I, I guess to set up this movie, should I just, well, the back is pretty long, so I won't, I won't read that. But our main character, whose name uh, is Dan... Uh, has visions of murders that he's they they don't ever say they're in Portland, but there are a re- there's a serial a serial killer on the loose in this in this movie who's killed I don't know what four or five people something like that, yeah. and our our main character Dan uh, sees visions of these people getting killed and some other things that he can't quite figure out, so he becomes the main suspect. Uh, of the police because he always seems to have knowledge of this. And so the story revolves around both him trying to figure out the killer and evade the police from bringing him in as a suspect. Does that sort of sum it up? And I guess saving his own life because he starts having visions of himself getting killed. (sighs) Yeah. And that, I think we'll kind of get to it as, as we kind of get through the movie, but I don't know that the, visions aspect of the movie visions was really adequately explained uh very much so um we also as mark mentioned uh have a uh, the same actor as in love and dynamite um which i don't think he was in back time but um i forgot to write his name down but he is the the one-armed man which is also a running joke because the children in this movie keep asking him how'd you lose that arm and he uh, he never answers the question and just ends up threatening him by grabbing one of the kids by the wrist and leaving a bruise. And that's why the one kid said a killer did this because uh, Dan uh, or not Dan, uh, the one armed man was also a suspect. Uh, Michael, I believe, is his name is in the, in the movie. So that, that was actually uh, another really good quote. Um, the kids yell at him, how'd you lose your arm? And then do you remember what his response was? Um, you never said how you lost your brain. Yeah, how'd you lose your brain? <laughs> Which an adult said to a child, like a 10-year-old. <laughs> Sick burn, mister. <laughs> You'd think he would have a better response, you know, up to that point. A, a shark um, eat it, yeah. Totally, you'd make up all sorts of things. Right. I did think, kind of before we get too deep into it, I kept writing how everything was surprisingly competent, like I thought the acting was good, the the sound was good, which usually in these really low budget movies, the sound is the thing that suffers the most. And the sound was very good through this whole time. And the, the shots were fairly decent. And so I was surprised that, especially since that this was his first one that we uh, that he made, right. but the third one we we watched, how the how, soundtrack, yeah, the soundtrack wasn't jarring uh, like <laughs> others that we've we've seen. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. I I've. I feel like generally the plot was nonsensical in in some ways and meandered around and and everything but we got to see a lot of old school Portland 1989 Portland so things like the White Eagle all yes. by itself which is now surrounded by their patio on one side and other buildings on the other side Well it was so, funny because I uh, when that building came up, I mean, this we were watching a VHS rip of it. So, you know, the quality is not is not very good. And I was like, oh, that's that restaurant next to the next to the White Eagle. And then I realized, oh, no, that's just the White Eagle by itself. Yeah. I I will say that the picture was really dark. I don't know if that was, you know, just an artifact of it being ripped from the VHS, but it was really hard to see in a lot of places. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of a lot of great stuff. And in fact, in our in our little window now, um, we're watching one of the scenes. A lot of this takes place at a strip club called Delilah's. Are we just assuming that was a fake club just for this movie? Because it looked very strange. So, yeah, we we think the outside is definitely fake, uh, but they do reference in the in the credits 
the pink pearl. I saw um, that, which sounds very strip club. It very, sounds very strip club. And Brian, you said you might have found something about that. Yeah. So I uh, did figure out where the pink pearl was located. Um, and it uh, was a 14th and Hawthorne, um, which is currently where uh, Pokemon sits. Pokemon. Oh, is that like a, a poke restaurant? It is a poke restaurant. Um, <laughs> I, it looks, I'm surprised Mark didn't say anything because it's one of his favorites. Uh, but I see that he has left uh, his chair. <laughs> <laughs> he stormed out to go to Pokemon. Uh, but one of it, yeah. So um, actually, speaking of actors that have been in other movies, one of the uh, the women who play the strip uh, stripper in this movie is Sandra Greenberg, who was the yeah. star of Fatal Revenge. So yep. another another tie in there. And we'll get to the joke that she uh, that she does later, which I thought was very funny. Um, well, I guess we just do it now. But at one point, yeah, it she's, was pretty good. She's having this conversation with some patrons uh, at um, uh, while she's stripping and she's talking about um, she's talking about how monkeys don't need boobs because for some reason but humans developed to stand up and that's why boobs are important or something like just going on and on and she's got this like not a Betty Boop voice but like a very like dumb stripper voice and it kind of plays through that scene and then it shows her going backstage and all of a sudden she just talks in this like completely normal voice and how she's just putting this on for the dumb customers. And I thought that was a, a, a great little touch to, to that character. Yeah. It was a really awkward start to the conversation. Cause the guy just starts talking to the stripper about like, yeah, we're expecting the fourth kid any day now. I'm like, yes. Is, she's that, like, is that normal conversation for your well, stripper? And I felt a little silly not being a, 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 a really a patron of strip clubs. I'm like, do people just like, have open conversations as the stripper is there performing is that like a thing that happens or i couldn't That's quite so figure funny. out yeah <laughs> but uh hey, welcome and back, also, mark welcome back mark we're talking about strippers um Yay. but also things that were in another movie the there was a cameo by something that appeared in love and dynamite and that was the bathroom did you guys notice that the bathroom in Dan's house was the same bathroom as the uh, one in Love and Dynamite? So that must wow. be Stephen Miller's house. Oh, that's awesome. So I thought that was what I was like. I recognize this bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one uh, there was since we're talking sort of uh, locations now. Um, did anyone else uh, get a jolt in their memory from the slide? No, I did. Uh, was that in the ninja movie? Uh, I think it was in uh, They're Brain not Smasher. ninjas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. The ninja movie, Brain Smasher. Yeah. Oh, funny. Yeah. I thought that looked super fun. Um, so I don't know if that's like a common feature for any warehouses or if it's the same slide, but it, it was... must have been like the garbage slide before OSHA got involved because like now they're all outdoors made of trash cans. I no, yeah. I think it's I think it's um for package movement within a facility. So you have the warehouse on the third floor that that packs it up and sends it down to the to the mailing room downstairs yeah. and they just okay. send it down the chute. Okay. So how there's not I feel like there's not a whole lot that actually happens in this movie, so I don't know how to move <laughs> I don't really know how to move through it. Um, I guess. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. So two two other things about people from other movies. So one of the main characters uh, is J.R. Pella, who showed up in Fatal Revenge, showed up in Love and Dynamite. Um, and I thought he was really good. He played one of the police officers in this movie. But also a cameo from Back Time was Sherry Frund. Zymo. Zymo. Really? What is Zymo showed up in this movie? Where? What? When? She was Wait. there was the scene when uh the main character Dan, the um the guy who's having the visions, uh is running away from the police <gasps> because they think he's they found the a body buried in his backyard. Uh, and so they're after him thinking he's a serial killer. And so he's uh, on his bicycle riding under all the bridges, the like under four or five and stuff the like bridge. that. And 
he's patching himself up like Rambo style, like just in a in a in tunnel, the sewer. In the sewer. And all of a sudden in the distance, you see a guy with an eye patch and a little person, a midget, like walking towards him. They come. Uh, the the little person sh- uh, is Sherry Frund, who played Zymo. And they're just in it for a scene and they kind of patch him up and send him back on his way. I was like, that is so great. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I did find her contact information. She is... Uh, in Salem, Oregon, and uh, uh, I texted the phone number, but I think it's a landline, so oh. <laughs> I wasn't bold enough to call it. Yeah, I don't, so. when we have some sort of uh, post-quarantine Portland at the movies gala event, <laughs> we're going to have event. all of these actors come, and <laughs> that would be amazing. Hello, is this Zymo? <laughs> Yes. Will you come to our party and also tell us what a Zymo is? <laughs> uh, but um, so speaking of um, J.R. Uh, Pella, no wait, J.R. That's yeah, yeah. That's uh, David Walker's friend. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Um, who played uh, the uh, rookie police officer in this film? I loved how um, he. It's almost like they couldn't. They didn't want to pay for the rights to some songs, so they, so they just had him sing the songs in the car. I totally noticed that, like, the radio should have been on in the background and he was singing to it, but instead it was, like, the police band, you know, <laughs> saying, like, where people are and stuff like that. But I totally noticed that, that they must not have gotten the the rights to those songs. Um so uh, Dan, who is the main character of this movie, uh, is a younger guy that's dating um, Anna, Anna, Ari- a woman named Ariana. And Dan is having these visions and keeps seeing things and things about the murders and then finally sees a vision of himself being murdered by Ariana. And so he keeps going to the police and saying, I'm having these visions. The police don't believe him. Eventually, um, uh what happens then? <laughs> well, um, they, they, oh, he, they uh, accuse he him. Up, he blacks out. Um, oh, right, right, right. And so he blacks out and finds himself in his bathtub uh, with dirt, clothes that are all muddy. He can't figure out how he got there, if it was just another vision, all of that. But it turns out there is a freshly dug grave in Dan's backyard that he doesn't know how he got there. Uh, so the police come and they dig it up and they find a bunch of pornography, <laughs> which uh, eventually the little neighbor kids, I was all excited because the neighbor kids live at a house where they're playing basketball in the driveway. And it looked exactly like the driveway from um, a walk in her shoes where those that guy <laughs> oh. lived next door and put up that house that's by Brian yeah. where you live. Yeah, it was it was not. But the kids uh, see that the police dug up this grave but didn't find a body. They found porn. So later the little kids come back at night uh, and start digging up the grave. But in between those two things, someone has killed a police officer and buried him in that grave. So now everybody thinks that Dan is the actual killer. That was actually a pretty clever setup. I don't think I've ever seen that in a film before where you dig a grave specifically for the police to dig it up for the sole purpose of then putting a body in there later so the police wouldn't think that, you know, we've already checked that. That I did think that was pretty great, yeah. too. Yeah. And there's um, a little thing about proving that the, the serial killer must have been left-handed because of the way that they found an iron with a plug-in on a certain side in the house. And like some of those little touches were kind of neat, I thought. Yeah, it's kind yep. of like the uh, script to back time where, you know, there's a, actually a couple clever things under there. Totally, totally. So as Dan, our, uh, our main character, is having these visions and trying to escape and trying to figure things out, he has his friend Michael, which is the one-armed man, um, that he's kind of confiding in. Michael is the one who owns the strip club, which is why there's a bunch of scenes there. I couldn't figure out if Ariana, the girlfriend, did she work at the strip club or used to, or what was that? No, she <sighs> she worked there. She was a, a cocktail waitress there. Uh, remember, Dan went 
Dan went and saw her at work and she's like, I'm busy. I'm working. Why are you here? And, and she had a tray of drinks. So I, um, it, so was that the strip club or was that the bar that had the, I thought they were, dart? I kind of thought they were the same place, but it could yeah. be that they were are they? different locations. Okay. I thought it was the same place too, and I think later they make references to Ariana um, back when she used to dance. So it sounds like maybe she used to strip there. Right. Okay. So some of these visions. Oh, we're seeing now in the in the video box not Peter Graves, who is one of the uh, <laughs> police officers, <laughs> with not Robert Duvall. <laughs> But uh, some of the visions that Dan has, I thought were really cool. And one of the effects that they did, um, uh, Dan was driving in the car and he looks in the rear view mirror, you know, and sees someone in the back seat that's not really there and sees him and then doesn't see them and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you, you see him, you see his lap as he's sitting in the car and up, up through his thighs by his crotch comes a knife like out from under the seat and they do that and uh once at the very end and i won't spoil the ending but there is an attack of kind of a vision attack in the car again where like hands are coming out of the floorboards and like grabbing this person and like i thought that was really really cool that was well yeah. done for sure it reminded me yeah. of a vintage freddy krueger yes um so and it did seem like this movie had almost a budget that seems higher than both Backtime and Love and Dynamite. I mean, it's possible when you don't have to pay for a main star like Tom Baker or Dan Haggerty, uh, maybe you have a little bit budget for uh, you know production. That's true. Or, I didn't think of that. There was no stunt casting. Or yeah. he hadn't yet burnt through his money making his first movie. <laughs> That's true. It does say on the back that Visions is only available on VHS. So um, I felt like the uh, stunt casting in this film were just the strippers. <laughs> That's where they spent all their money on Sandra yeah. Greenberg. <laughs> there's there's um, the bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's the bathroom. <laughs> I, I totally recognize the mirror and they go down and that weird sink <laughs> with Kool-Aid in it. Uh, um, boy. Um, should we just talk about how it ends? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I, and again, I, this, uh, on this one, I also, I've only watched this movie once. I went back to my, I only watched back time once and I really enjoyed that. So I was like, well, I'll give it, I'll give it the full Stephen Miller experience again and just do a, a one, a one viewing of it. Um, and I did, I did enjoy this movie. I didn't really enjoy it. Like how I really enjoyed back time, but I just, I kept writing down how astonishingly competent it was. I would say that this is the quintessential Portland at the movies movie where it was just completely forgettable in a way, but there's lots of old Portland and it's nothing to write home about. Um, it, it just felt very middle of the road for this show. And kind of generic down to the fact that they don't ever mention Portland. Yeah. The closest we yep. get, I think, once they say that they're on Click Attack Street. Yep. Yep, they yep. did. Um, so there is, as this movie is unfolding, and we as the audience can see that Dan is not the murderer because we see him, you know, doing other things as some murders are taking place. When the body in his backyard gets buried, he's off doing something else. Um <clears throat> And then at one point where uh, the one-armed man, Michael, is doing something for his bar, Michael starts having visions. So he looks down the, the alley and also has these visions of things that either are in the path. It's not really clear what he's seeing, but they both so have this power. Per perhaps he has imagination and Dan has <laughs> visions. And that's where they collide. <laughs> that's, where they, that's where they become one. That's where the tagline become comes one. from. <laughs> um, 
so as as again as Dan is on the run and as the police are chasing him, we the audience know that it's not him. And then we find out that it is indeed Michael. Spoilers! Spoiler alert! Doing these <laughs> murders, but his up to this point, they all think the the serial killer is a female. Because they are only finding um, what they call the serial killer is, quote, killing macho assholes. And so they think it's a woman that is doing it because it's all men that have been killed. But it turns out it's been Michael all along. But I don't know why. Uh, I didn't understand why either. And (laughs) shock, it was the one-armed man. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers for the fugitive. It is the one-armed man. Um but as as the it's kind of being shown to the audience that Michael is the killer, he is talking to Dan about Dan's visions and Michael is Michael says I developed you. How many people can get inside each other's heads? And so it makes it sound like kind of like the shining i guess where they have this power or i don't none of that is really explained at all (laughs) i would agree with you i don't i totally agree what is their history like what uh you know how do dan and mike michael know each other I don't think they ever say it a little stranger because there is an age disparity. I feel like Michael is, you know, a good 10 or maybe even 15 years 15 older years. than Dan. Yes. Yeah. As far as I could figure out, their only like connection was that Dan used to date Ariana, who worked at the club that Michael seemed to manage. Oh, yeah, so they know each other through work, I guess. Work at the strip club. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, I don't think it's explained really well. This is where the movie falls Agreed. apart. This, didn't, this doesn't have the tight script of back time. <laughs> Wait, was this written by Stephen Miller? Yes, written and directed. Yes. Well, yep. and uh, co-written by Tom Taylor, who I believe is the one-armed man. So, But Tom Taylor also, let me, let me check to make sure, uh, was a co-writer on... Oh, not a co-writer on Love and Dynamite... Um, and not a co-writer on back time. So they must have yeah, obviously was, had a relationship. Uh, I, I'm trying to see who wrote back time. Cause I want to say it wasn't Stephen Miller. No back time was written and directed by Stephen Miller. Okay. So at least according to the VHS box. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, else i really liked uh the fact that mike michael had uh, a knife that shot out of his arm stump yes 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 so at the end of the movie after we know it's him uh michael is has stolen a car and is driving away you know presumably to escape because he framed daniel for it uh and so he's making an escape and that's where we have the other vision where hands come out of the floorboards there's a really cool one where a hand came out and grabbed his foot and pressed down on the gas pedal and so there's all this stuff happening and he's he's weaving around and um he's oh that's not part of it that's not even no 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 no. that that follows that that's the final scene so before that he is in the car in the police police car right he's in the police car and and they're going uh they're they're starting to piece things together and they're like, you, you couldn't, you know, I couldn't have done it because the killer was left-handed. You know, they saw the, the bruise of the right hand holding the victim and the cuts from the, the left hand. And so they, they had decisively concluded that the, uh, 
the killer was left-handed. And he's like, look, guys, I don't even have a left hand. And they're like, well, me, me, wow, you know, maybe he's right. And, uh, and then a switchblade pops out of his stump uh cover covering and which yeah i was gonna uh, say it's a stump covering which was kind of cool i thought right. it's just like a, a little cap so that because he was like lifting stuff and and all that and they show it and just a knife and i, I wrote down in all capital letters holy shit a knife in his stump <laughs> i was yes. so excited and then he murders the two cops in the car that's and right so, and that's so, how he gets the car right and so he gets the car but uh later he has visions of those cops attacking him in his car. Okay, I wasn't scene. sure who the people in those visions were. If it was like all the other people that he killed, but I guess it was yeah, the cops. yeah, yeah. There was yeah, it was the cop that got buried, and it was the cops that were in the car that he murdered. Uh, and, but I didn't see. So I think there were three people in the car. It was the three cops yeah. that he'd killed. Okay, okay. And then the movie actually ends with uh you see the car driving away swerving all over the road knowing that those like spirits are in the car and sort of are controlling him driving the car but then if you stay through and watch all of the end credits at the very end did you uh hear the sting at the end of the movie no i watched it all until the credits were done at the very end of the credits you hear a car crash um, implying that those spirits ultimately resulted in him crashing the car and perhaps I did not did not killed. catch that. That's great. Oh, that's great. And that yeah. well, I, they were he was taught he was weaving weaving around in that car. I think by uh, off the Columbia River there by what is that the road that go is it just airport road that goes past up on that uh, berm. Oh yeah, I was wondering that, but... if that might be uh, Cascade Locks because I noticed they oh you're right Cascade Locks. Yep. You're right. They also thanked uh, Phil Roth. Did you see that? Oh, really? it, he was no, one I of the. And there was a lot of songs uh, written and performed by a band called Fashion Ambulance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is pretty great. Mark, do you uh, can you play sound over there? Um, <clears throat> I I can. Yes. Can you go to like 36 minutes and 10 seconds or so? I wanted to maybe play a little bit of the strippers conversation about monkeys and boobs. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> see what I got that was here. a pretty good, pretty good uh, conversation. <laughs> okay. Let's see if I can do this. So while Mark is queuing that up can we talk about the logistics of how you handcuff somebody with only one arm <laughs> i wrote that down as well they're like cuff them boys arms behind his back but did you hear what they said no they go cuff him cuff just cuff his arm to his belt oh because i actually wrote that down i was wondering if that's how they might do it and okay that's cool that there you go that's how you cuff a one-armed man is you probably cuff it to that the belt or the loop or something like that but yeah that was pretty funny they were trying to handcuff a one-armed man and it was cool at the very end so at the very end uh, michael the one-armed man is telling his whole plan to uh dan and dan's girlfriend ariana ariana is uh like duct taped up to uh the stripper pole in the club and so she can't move um they all get in a tussle, and Ariana grabs Michael by the throat with her legs and thighs because that's all she can move. So she, like, does some sort of hammerlock knee thing onto him. And I thought that was a, a cool way to incorporate her into the final fight. <laughs> okay, let's see what I'm doing. Okay, can you hear this? Yes. that's what I read in this book. Sure, honey, anytime. That's what I mean. Why are boobs such a turn on? So people can mate, that's why. You see, it's a survival thing. But monkeys, monkeys don't need boobs to mate, and they reproduce just fine. So what's the diff? Well, I'll tell you. Because monkeys walk around on all fours, and they do it from behind. But when our caveman ancestors started walking around upright 
they had to learn to do it from the front. Which is why buns just don't like it anymore. No, I got nothing against buns. That's exactly what I mean. Boobs look like buns. So then you guys look at us gals first. So, so yeah, uh, boobs look like buns so that it's uh, a primordial uh, response so that so we can we, do it. We recognize the them. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I believe, uh, was uh, Sandra Greenberg uh, playing that role. And then you see after that is when she goes backstage and has the normal voice and is like, yeah, men are morons or whatever she says to the other dancers <laughs> and stuff like that, which is great. Sandra, Sandra Greenberg, who would go on to star in Playboy's parody adaptation of Max Hedrum. <laughs> she did. I did. And I, uh, I don't mean to bring... Oh, didn't she have what was the name in that Max Max Legroom or something oh, like that? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was something ridiculous That's the like airplane that. Yeah, parody. So yeah, but she was she was good. And again, I mean, I several times I wrote how surprised I was at either the acting or the music or the fact that they're like even in some of the crowd scenes there was a crowd there because we've seen. A lot of those, well, they're like at the strip club and it's like clearly there's one person that couldn't afford extras and like there's one person. And but this movie felt um, kind of uh, filled out a little bit with even some of that. So, oh, there there's the scene with the knife up through the seat, which is cool, too. Um, so on this on this on the Miller scale, then are how do we how are we viewing his <clears throat> trilogy where we just so in love with back time that we were glamored. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I liked, I personally liked back time the best of the three and uh, this is solid second. And uh, the one with Grizzly Adams is a forgettable third in my, in, in my scaling. Yeah. yeah I, I, I would I, agree. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Especially the the one takeaway I remember from Love and Dynamite last month was that it was just mostly filler. Because remember they played the credits twice and it was still like <laughs> seventy minutes long. Um, it does surprise me though, and I guess we I I put zero effort into finding Stephen Miller, but it surprises me that this is all he did. Like we've seen a lot of our that more hacky directors, Phil Roth included. Like that just go on to keep making movies and making and making and making them. And it kind of surprised me that we can't really track what happened to this guy, which is kind of a shame. And it's like he had, uh, you know, just three ideas in his head. And uh, that was it. <laughs> yep. He was in and he's out. He knew when to quit. You can't improve on perfection. <laughs> well it's it's interesting because i thought we would be going backwards in quality as we went you know backwards in his filmography i wish that like because when i think back about back time i don't remember it being as competently filmed and acted as this one so mm. i i was surprised like if if back time had been filmed in in the same quality and care that this one has it would have been even a way better movie so it's it's interesting to see that quality difference between and i wonder if they were just able to hire a good cinematographer for this one or someone that kind of more knew what they were doing or i'm not quite sure what yeah happened there. this one definitely felt more like a movie whereas back time felt yeah. a little bit more like an amateur cool project it did. That's this true. one felt like a TV movie, kind of, because it wasn't, mm -hmm. it, it felt very constricted. I'd say Back Time was probably the most ambitious uh, with the different sets and the the plot lines, trying to put it together, the costuming and the characters. And, you know, that was like, uh, let's go out with a big idea. And, and, yeah. and so that is, it's really hard to do sci fi on a, a small budget, you know, and it always looks corny when you've got a small budget. So that is true. And they did spend quite a bit of money on the costumes there, which we remarked over and over and over were yes. really good. So yeah, um, they did just a crime drama. Yeah. I did. There's David Walker. 
Uh, <laughs> I did really like, so as he, as Dan is being chased, he's kind of being chased to the, the district that's kind of underneath the overpasses by 405 and I-5 and, he goes into an abandoned building and and gets chased by uh, J.R. Pella, who is the the rookie police officer. And they're running through this abandoned building, and he uh, f- finds his way into a, a bathroom that's locked. And uh, I thought he was gonna, you know, hide hide in the closet or something like that. But he breaks out the window, and I was like, okay, well he's gonna jump. Well, they establish he's on the second floor, so he can't jump. And then he diehards it out the window with the cloth, those old cloth towel rolls that come in bathrooms to wipe your hand off. You know, he pulls all of that out and like repels down the side of the building, which I thought was pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was clever. Uh, Um, We have not talked about one of the greatest scenes in this movie yet. Ooh. Uh, it, do you remember when the one arm man uh, threw darts into another oh, man's yes. back? Amazing. So yeah, so there's a guy in the <clears throat> in the bar in the in the strip club that is. Um, wh- what was his offense? What was he doing wrong? Um, I, I mean, I think maybe he was just harassing one of the a, waitresses. A maybe was there? No, that, that was. Oh yeah, he yet. called her a cow. Right. And so Dan, uh, Michael, now does Michael, does he own the club or does he I kind manage of felt it? like he was the owner or manager, like the, yeah, yeah the boss. Sort he's, of. In, he's in charge. And so instead of walking over to him, you know, 10 feet or whatever and dealing with it in person, he commences to throw three darts into his body, uh, two in the back and one in the arm. And, uh, and, gets him that way <laughs> and then he walks over to the guy who got the darts thrown at him and said don't worry i hit all your fleshy parts or your fatty parts or whatever <laughs> it won't hurt just a flesh wound and it was surprisingly effective well yeah, yeah. I, I i would think that would stop a lot of people just to have three darts thrown at them <laughs> or enrage them like if, if you've got an angry drunk customer and you throw a dart into their arm, they're not going to be more docile. I, I feel but like if he's they able to aim like that from it. across a bar, I think even a drunk guy would like, no, Oh, he could like just hit me square in the forehead or like wherever he wants to hit me. <laughs> Take an eye out. There was another part of the kind of the visions aspect. We already said it was very not explained, but after Dan has another vision of Ariana, his girlfriend, um, killing him after he takes a bath, Dan says to her, you killed yourself, you know, meaning in the vision he just had. And Ariana says, well, good. Maybe you won't see me that way anymore. What does that mean? Maybe... In in the visions, I'm dead now, and so you're not going to see me in the visions anymore. So, oh, I thought I thought it was, thought it was like visions is now done because he's. Uh, oh, this uh, what's showing now is there's a little clip <laughs> of of Michael just chugging beers as the yeah. manager of the bar, and he he takes two. Down, like he downs I, I didn't pints. understand. They really filmed that. Two pints. Yeah, I, well, they, I did wonder really if it did. was fake beer. Probably, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was great because that's right after he. Well, and that's weird because that's right after he sees the visions himself in the alley. Right, he gets freaked right. out, comes right in, you know, and has two quick drinks, but. At the end of the movie, we are led to believe that he is the mastermind and can also tap into or give other people visions so why at this point in the movie is he all freaked out enough to go drink a whole bunch after seeing the visions yes (laughs) no idea and now we're seeing dan there's a scene of him in front of a fireplace he's trying to like figure out the visions and try to like, do they mean something? He's trying to do the Ouija board of like spirit. If you're in here, come out or whatever. And he's talking to the fire saying, you know, who are you? Who are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah. And that's never really clear either. 
yeah, there, there's a lot that kind of breaks down in this, but yeah, it's <laughs> kind of fun to fun to watch. Did you catch any of this that we talked about? Uh, the 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 man with the eye patch and the and um and uh sherry fruned uh there's a scene where they find dan in the drainage ditch and they help patch dan up but then the old man with the eye patch is going on and on about something but i couldn't make heads or tails of it does anyone remember that or can we listen to that or I, it was ramblings of a homeless person uh, is was it meant the, to the be best. that or was it meant to like be meaningful me, in the larger sense let me, sense let of me the see movie. if i can let me see if i can find a little segment of that okay because if that like i from the from that scene from there being the a man with an eye patch and a little person it felt like maybe there was a real surrealism going on that we were supposed to glean a message Uh, oh yeah, and this scene also has water in the background, and so there's. Oh. Um, so we're not going to be able to hear pretty, anything. It's pretty noisy, but uh, okay. I'll, I'll play what we got. I've been doing it with other plants too. Yes. Don't even have no names. <laughs> this I. I had snatched up by a critter that looked like a possum, bigger than a Cadillac. <laughs> and some was, uh, coming out in the, the middle of the Big Dipper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, it goes on, but I think generally it's just ramblings of a homeless person. Okay, that, it seemed like that was our moment to get, like, the wise, you know, spiritual look at things that were happening, but I guess not. No. <laughs> Thank you, uh, <laughs> I'm getting it too much credit. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there what else? Is there anything else to talk about this movie? I just I I feel like we're kind of retreading, but like I didn't dislike this movie. It, yeah, it, it didn't make me hate it. I, I wasn't frustrated by it too much. Were there any other um, locations that that? We yeah, that's missed? what I was gonna get at the the locations. Um, Primarily uh, some bridge shots in this film. Yeah, they did take a um, nice yeah, jog we'll... downtown uh, the, on the waterfront. Yeah, yep. we get that and the steel bridge. Um... Where was that big at the very beginning there? He's someone standing in front of a giant neon sign that says North Town. Yeah. Anyone oh, know what that is? Like North Town? Maybe. Yeah, I, I didn't understand. I didn't no. get that. Yeah, it it was an obscured sign that was like a red neon sign, and so we got the orth of worth <laughs> or north or something, and uh, the mo- mostly of town. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know. Huh. Yeah, that was very strange. But uh, other than this, other than the strip club, and then there was that chase scene down, kind of uh, where the White Eagle and stuff was. A lot of it was just interior shots, so not a whole yeah. lot of actual Portland, other than the nice bridge shots and a couple of them. So, yep. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, just looking, looking at the uh, cover right now and realizing how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'll, I'll hold it up for for the camera yeah, there. The but. silhouette of a stripper butt, and uh, yeah, and we've got the the cover on the uh, oh yeah, there it is. The graphic as well. <laughs> there it is, but, right there. But uh, and then uh, is that Dan's face? I think it must think be. At so. first, I thought it was a woman, but it, that wouldn't make yeah. sense. And it doesn't and, even fill the whole cover. It's just like forty percent. <laughs> He's less ink that way. (laughs) I'm just looking again at the end when Michael is yelling at Dan. Because the way the movie formats itself at this point, the reveal that Michael has been the killer the whole time, it sounded like Michael was casting visions into Dan in order to kind of like in Harvest of Fear. (laughs) Do you remember like when the dad and the son were like handing things off to each other and it kind of mm. sounded like I'm grooming you because at one point Michael says I developed you 
So it just it it was very strange that. Well, well, I think there were there was definitely a transition of the visions from visions that he was having to physical manifestations like the uh, being covered in mud, waking up and 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 finding the knife in the front yard. And he goes, now they're real. They've become real. And so I was getting that Michael was introducing those elements to kind of uh, transition, uh, like to build upon his visions and use those to his favor, if you will. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so I don't think he was doing a supernatural thing. I think he took the supernatural part and built upon it with physical things to build upon it, but uh, it doesn't really explain it and, and <laughs> it's not, not well thought out. It was, yeah, it was a little first drafty as far as any of the explanation for that goes. They took the uh, Rise of Skywalker route and just introduced the Force uh, <laughs> transfer of objects power. Uh, it was Palpatine who was doing the whole, killing the whole the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, any any final thoughts on on visions? Would we recommend it? You can find it uh, on the Portland at the Movies YouTube page. Uh, I will link to a to a different YouTube site where I've I have found it, so you can go see it there again. Hoping to smoke out Stephen Miller through copyright strikes to see if we can get him on the show. <laughs> Find him, yes. Yeah, I, I would say if you are a fan of Portland cinema, of, of things filmed in Portland, this helps to round out that, you know, especially in like the cult classic kind of vibe of Stephen. Like, you need to know Stephen Miller to be a true connoisseur of uh, of Portland cinema. And uh, and this helps build that out. And so it's for a niche audience. I don't think, you know, uh, Nick was watching it with me and he hated it. And, and, <laughs> he was expecting a real movie. It, 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 he happened to be in the room, I think, is like he it was more accidental, um, accidental watching. And and he just thought it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it with Sarah, and I think she had negative interest by the end of the 25 minutes that oh, she yeah. saw. Um, totally. But I would say that if you're looking for a place to start in Portland movies, this would not be a terrible introduction. All right, I yeah, and I would, I I would struggle. Would you say watch this first or Back Time first? I mean, if you're gonna watch. Uh, both of them, then it doesn't really matter. But if you're just going to watch one, I would suggest back time. Okay. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Well, so the speaking... End. Go ahead, Mark. No, that's all. Oh, no, I was going to say, speaking of trying to um, smoke people out of the woodwork in order to talk to them, that inadvertently brings us to what we're going to be doing next <laughs> month. So, Brian, do you want to do you want to uh, give people a heads up of, of what will be happening next month? Uh, sure. Um, so next month, our June episode, um, we received a message recently uh, on our Facebook page uh, from um, I'm shoot. I'm uh, I believe his name is Ted Pfeiffer. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, who was the uh, writer um, of both uh, Harvest of Fear uh, and its sequel, uh, Path of Evil, uh, which we covered uh, over the past two uh, Halloween seasons. Um, and we, uh, we, we were not uh, that kind, or uh, we were not very big fans of either one of those. Films. I believe at, many, um, at one point, Brian, you literally stopped down the entire podcast to say... <laughs> I just want to be clear. This movie is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
And then so he is sending us these messages like almost as he is listening to our episodes. And at one point he's like, all right, just finished Harvest of Fear. Can't wait to listen to Path of Evil. And you and I are like scouring the episode to be like, all right, what's the worst thing we said? Uh, <laughs> I did, Can I we take it down? Yes. Went to listen to that first. Mark got off uh, scot-free because he defended the movie and explained it in several cases. So he... But he and I did. We're not super kind, but yeah. So he contacted us and he asked, "Do you have the filmmakers on of movies that you quote hate?" <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be, yeah, yeah. He still was uh, willing to be interviewed on the podcast after listening to those episodes, which is incredible. <laughs> and I'm really curious to hear uh, how a movie like that. Uh, is seen from you know his perspective yeah at, at initially i thought he was also the director which really freaked me out but he was he was the writer he wrote it with his brother i believe he said his brother has removed his name and disavowed having anything to do with it so it will <laughs> be funny. yeah i'm i'm super intrigued we may or may not watch uh, a couple episodes of a a um, japanese television show about the oregon trail we haven't quite decided on that <laughs> Um, next month, but for sure, next month will be the first Portland at the movies clapback with uh, <laughs> with uh, screenwriter uh, of Path of Evil and Harvest of Fear. So do stay Bring tuned for that. On. And I would I'll, I would recommend actually the the Harvest of Fear episode that we did for Portland at the movies is I think my favorite episode of the show just because I got. <laughs> apoplectic with rage the second time I had to watch that movie but um so I would recommend listeners maybe go back and listen to our uh our harvest of the evil uh episode and uh to prepare for next month Ted if you're listening I fully expect you to let us know how terrible our podcast is (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so I guess we'll find out we can dish it out so can we take it we will find out uh, next month on that Portland at the movies. So, uh, Unipiper, is there anything that you're uh, you want to promote right now in this in this weird time? What are you doing? Um, if anyone is at home uh, and is feeling a little down and looking for ways to celebrate, whether it's a birthday or a graduation in the family, uh, reach out. Um, visit my website at unipiper.com/birthdays, and uh, maybe I can help you out. Nice. Mark, what about you? Well, Todd, uh, you and I have a podcast called the Mark and Toddcast, and you can find us there at uh, markandtoddcast.com. We talk about things that happen in Portland and uh, science-y topics. And um, uh, so on the weeks that we aren't doing Portland the movies, you can find us at Mark and Toddcast. Yes, and oddly, we have been the most consistent during this COVID thing than we have in years. So it's been really fun. You did a really interesting topic last week about how they uh, underwater construction and how uh, how they build things underwater. So that was really neat. Um, check out the Portland at the Movies uh, YouTube page. Like I said, we've got a couple movies that we've reviewed, posted there for you to take a look at. Um, and if you have been involved in any movies, if you film, we've gotten a couple couple messages from people who turns out they were in Frozen Assets, sadly a deleted scene. So they had to spend all, <laughs> all day at the park in Willamette in West Lynn and not even make the final film. So but yeah, if you've been in a movie or have an experience or, or did something fun uh, in the Portland movie scene, let us know and um, we'll we'll add that to our ever growing uh, backlog of, of stuff that we reviewed. So uh, other than that, Mark, um, if you want to play us with whatever whatever song plays over the ending credits, that would be great. It's probably a song by, what was that band's name? Um, uh, Emergency fashion. Flatulence Fashion. <laughs> uh, fashion Ambulance, but I will take Flatulent Ambience or whatever you just said. <laughs> Let me, see what I can, let me see what I can find here. All right. And, uh, oh, and listen to Fun Employment Radio. They're doing a show still every every day that we can find them at funemploymentradio.com, uh, where you can also find some other shows. So thank you for listening. Oh, oh yeah. 
Uh, I just want to say a shout out to, um, I can't remember his name now, but uh, one of our listeners of the show. Um, I was out uh, riding around the neighborhood, spreading some bagpiping tunes, and somebody uh, rode along beside me on their bicycle and uh, said they were a fan of the show. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. A sighting so, in the wild for Portland at the movies. That's pretty great. Yeah. Shout out to that guy. Well, yeah. Say hi to us. If you ever see us on the street, Mark, you can take us out. We'll talk to you later. Nice. Thank you. It's sexy. makes me think of our show than that music. <laughs> that sounds like a, like a USA silk stockings. 